Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. In this episode, James Duggan, who's a PhD researcher at the Cork University Business School in Ireland, discusses the well-being of employees who work in what we call the gig economy. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. James Duggan is an Irish Research Council PhD scholar at the Cork University Business School, University College Cork in Ireland. With a background in the new media and technology, his research examines the fragmented nature of work and working relationships in the global gig economy. And in particular, his research focuses on the role of what is called algorithmic management in shaping the experiences of gig workers and on the issues related to autonomy, power imbalances, resistance, and development opportunities. So James, can you tell our listeners what we mean by the term gig economy? Well, sure, I'd be happy to. So basically, when we're talking about the gig economy, we're essentially referring to a relatively new way of working in a labor market that uses online labor platforms to digitally connect independent workers with customers to provide a really vast range of services. So this includes everything from for example, transportation to uh, food delivery, courier services to handyman services, and then also to areas such as uh, graphic design, translation, transcription, and so on. This can be completed either in local markets or also remotely around the world. And basically then because of this, work that we see within the gig economy is widely viewed as being uh, like a type of hyper-flexible, precarious type of work and just generally devoid of the commitments and I guess any of the conventions that we'd normally expect to see between an organization and its workers. And that then is basically where the gig part of the gig economy comes from. So the term gig is meant to signify the uh, transformation and I guess fragmentation of work into almost individual bite-sized tasks or gigs like we might associate with, for example, a freelance independent musician who plays gig to gig from night to night. So the relationship here then between the worker and the organization is essentially seen to end after each gig or task has been completed. So what this really highlights then, I guess, is the really strong sense of precarity that we get from gig work. And it's it's not so surprising then that the gig economy seemed to emerge for the most part during the depths of the 2008 global financial crisis. And since then really has only grown and expanded and developed. And, and again, just to emphasize that the really key thing to pay attention to in the gig economy is that work is almost exclusively transacted through digital means. So when we refer to digital platforms, we're talking about the smartphone applications that we have on our smartphones or devices. And the role of technology here then in enabling and in mediating and also monitoring work. And that is what makes the gig economy new and not just another type of maybe perhaps fancy name for more established contingent work arrangements. So how are gig economy employees different, if you will, from regular employees? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's it's typically, I guess, one of the most common debates across gig economy scholarship. And 
basically the short answer here is that they're different because gig workers are not actually employees at all. So in that way, the differences here are really significant. So in almost all cases, gig workers across most major organizations are classified as self-employed independent contractors and not as employees. So we see then these workers being referred to by their organizations as, for example, partners, uh, taskers, writers, and so on, depending on the organization. And all of this then is with the goal of making it very clear to the workers and also to the general public that these individuals are not really part of the organization. They do provide a service for the organization, but there is no legal employment relationship in existence here. So that's the scenario that we have. And that those are the facts, I guess, around what gig work is and how it functions. And based on that, then there are two key viewpoints, I guess, in terms of what this means for gig workers. So firstly, on the more positive and optimistic side of things, there is the what we call a be your own boss perspective, which basically is the argument promoted by organizations that gig workers are allowed really significant levels of flexibility in choosing when, where, and also how to work. And that most of the autonomy here is around scheduling because as independent contractors, gig workers must have a certain degree of control over aspects of their work, such, of this, such as this rather. So the whole idea here then is that gig work uh, basically allows workers to become almost something like a, a type of micro entrepreneur where they can essentially operate across several platforms simultaneously if they wish, and they can have greater control over their earnings and also their schedules. So that's the more positive narrative. And, and I guess those are really the ideals around gig work promoted by gig organizations. Okay, but on the other side, then, of this same argument, we see a much more, I guess, problematic and troubling perspective on gig work. And in a lot of cases, this more negative and controversial narrative is what tends to dominate most of the, of the uh, discourse on gig work to date. So most gig workers, by lacking employee status, are not entitled to any of the perks, benefits and protections that would typically accompany uh, conventional employment. And this includes everything from holiday pay to sick leave to potential overtime payments and so on. And this really then is a major area of debate and discussion, uh, not just across academic literature, but also across policy discussion and debate too. So we've also got the issue then of the anonymity that essentially defines gig work. So for the most part, gig workers operate uh, in total isolation. So that, that's the very nature of, of the work that they complete. So they land their roles through online only applications and a typically very speedy onboarding process. And in most cases, they receive no formal training. And as a result, they're unlikely to ever actually meet a representative from the organization for whom they work. So this seems quite bizarre to us as uh, people who maybe work in the more conventional employment economy. So workers in the gig economy instead are usually entirely peripheral to the organization. Okay, and, and finally then, the last key issue that we look at here is the idea of algorithmic management. And you mentioned this at, at the start of the podcast is it really is one of the, the key areas within my own research. So this basically refers to the use of technology or algorithmic technologies to be precise in the monitoring, managing, and also controlling of gig workers. So we could talk for an entire episode of your podcast about algorithmic management, about how it works, how it's developed, and so on, because it, it really is a fascinating area to learn about, and particularly for those interested in human resource management. But for the sake of this conversation, 
what I think is really important to emphasize or to highlight is that this new way of managing workers is uh, really innovative and it's very comprehensive in allowing the organization to observe and track and monitor workers. But of course, the issue here is that gig workers are supposed to be classified as independent contractors. And as a result, the argument then is that they shouldn't in any form be controlled by the organizations, even if it is an automatic type of management function, rather than that being completed by a human manager. So we're left asking then, are gig workers actually self-employed independent contractors, or are they something closer to employees, given the use of algorithmic management? And, And that's where quite a lot of my research is focused. So what are the implications of these differences that you just discussed on the well-being of gig economy workers? I assume there are some implications. Mm, Yeah, 100%. And and I guess that's really the uh, core question here that underpins many, if not all, of the issues that that we've just spoken about for the last few moments. So I think often across literature on gig work is that we spend so long and so much time trying to understand exactly how gig work functions and operates and the types of arrangements that are in existence that it can sometimes very much unintentionally be also easy to uh, almost forget to place a, a really strong focus on the lived experiences of these workers and the challenges that they actually face in their roles. Because once again, without even uh, looking at it in any great detail, we can assume that based on what we discussed, that, that the issues that, that, that exist here are really significant and, and far ranging and grand. So again, let's just start with the positives because I, I think it's really important to strive for as much balance as possible when discussing gig work and, and not fall into uh, the, the idea of maybe demonizing organizations here because it's, it's really important to recognize that there is not only one type of gig work and there's also not only one type of gig worker. So it wouldn't be fair to assume that all workers are unhappy or dissatisfied in these arrangements. Okay, and for an example, uh, we can return to the idea of the uh, micro entrepreneurship that we spoke about a little bit earlier. And this is an often cited claim here uh, and a benefit rather of gig work that these workers can become uh, more empowered by this newfound autonomy, where they essentially escape the confines of a traditional service sector role where they might be working on favorable hours or whatever it might be. Likewise, sticking with the positives, gig work might also be a really valuable side earner for those who are already in a type of full-time employment. So the flexibility in scheduling of gig work can allow these individuals then to work when it is, uh, for example, convenient for them. And it provides also an additional diversified income stream in such cases. And it can also be the case here then for students who, in my experience, at least based on my own research, tend to make up relatively large segments of gig workers, and particularly in local markets where we see food delivery services, for example. So for students, it can be a really convenient means of income for them, and they can easily work around their hours uh, of study, for example. Okay. And of course, uh, the final, I guess, major advantage that we can see here, and, and something that is so basic, sometimes it can almost be overlooked, is that gig work represents a really significant opportunity for those who become unemployed or or find themselves out of work. And in such cases, gig work is known for its really low entry barriers, meaning that it can be really significant for these individuals as an opportunity to re-enter the workforce quite quickly and with relative ease. So again, there are certainly many cases of gig work being beneficial and offering valuable opportunities to workers. And it's really important, I think, in our discussion of gig work to highlight that. Okay. However, once again, returning to some of the larger issues that are present here, 
gig work can often represent more difficult and also problematic issues for workers. So returning to the issues that we mentioned a little bit earlier, a notable one here is the uh, perhaps isolation that can be experienced by gig workers in their roles. So they really don't belong to an organization. They're almost entirely peripheral. And the supports and even social support systems that you might typically find in, in almost any type of employment are most commonly weak or perhaps even non-existent in many gig organizations. And in line with this, we're left questioning whether the classification status assigned to gig workers is actually appropriate and fair at all. So if these workers are managed by an algorithm, are they really self-employed? And if so, uh, is the so-called flexibility afforded to these workers really as significant as advertised? Or is it a more nominal type of autonomy where you have perhaps some control over scheduling, but as a result, you have almost no control over the execution of the labor process itself? Okay, so the potential erosion of employment standards then that we find um, ourselves leading to in this type of a discussion is something that's really widely debated across gig economy scholarship with the risk here being that the gig economy business model seems or means rather that gig workers essentially harbor all of the risks associated with their role. So for example, if demand is low, gig workers suffer as they are paid on a task by task basis. Okay, likewise, if they become sick or unwell and they can't work, in almost all cases, that's their loss as they're not entitled to sick leave as they're not an employee of the organization. Finally, if they get removed from the platform for whatever reason, there are usually very few, if almost in some cases, no means at all to contest this decision, even if it's unclear to the worker why it might have occurred. So from our perspective, it very much seems like a one-sided relationship in terms of power, which really seems to contradict the way that gig work is advertised by platforms in the first place. And of course, we can finish here by returning to the overall wider issue of algorithmic management. And many gig workers are closely monitored from the time they log in with their performance being tracked at almost every instance. And as we've mentioned already, subpar performance can be punished, perhaps by receiving less opportunities for work, or even in some more extreme cases, by being removed or kicked off the platform entirely. So there's a whole body of literature on the implications of such intense uh, monitoring and surveillance of workers, and particularly by technological agents, which really is the one of the core issues in gig work. And of course, the risk here then from our perspective as HR researchers, is that the human is essentially being removed from the equation. So from the management process, from the working relationship, from almost everything. Do we have any kind of data and specifically demographics about gig economy workers? Do they tend to be young? Is it linked to the fact that some workers like flexibility in their schedule? Does that have anything to do with the age of the workers perhaps? Yeah, once again, a really interesting question and, and something that I wish I had a more concrete or, or solid answer for. And I, I guess one of the issues that I and, and many others who research the gig economy face is that it's very difficult to measure the scope of the gig economy. So for the most part, our interpretation of how large the gig economy is or the types of gig workers that exist in any type of gig economy, whether it be local or in, in remote type gig working, is very much based on, on singular studies. So I, I know that based on my own research, over half of our participants of, and I should say that this was a study of localized gig work, uh, that almost half of our participants were made up of either students or migrant workers. So typically younger from the ages of 18 to around 35. And typically speaking, they cited this as being a key advantage in the completion of their work, which they saw as being 
heavily physical in terms of, of commuting around cities, perhaps with some health and safety implications for, for anyone cycling around the city, but particularly for perhaps older workers. Uh, but beyond that, it, it's quite difficult, I guess, to, to generalize the, the typical characteristics of a gig worker, because again, from our perspective, there is not one type of gig work and there's also not one type of gig worker. How has COVID-19 impacted gig economy employees? Honestly, it's been a really interesting one to watch because in many cases, we, we've spoken for the last couple of minutes about you know how these gig workers in many cases are, are left so peripheral to the organization in such a precarious position and lacking all of the benefits and perks that you would normally see uh, conventional employees getting. But what happened in 2020 was that gig workers became essentially essential workers throughout the pandemic as the world continued to grapple with the pandemic and couriers and food delivery services in particular experienced a really strong surge in popularity. So I've, I've got some examples here uh, from the Irish context. And if, if we look at food delivery platforms, which as you can imagine, throughout the last number of months, have been really classified as an essential service throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And here in Ireland, orders on food delivery platforms increased by over 50% during the pandemic. And from the perspective of worker applications then, so individuals applying to work with these organizations, there was an 80% increase in applications to join platforms. So really, just if you take a step back from everything that's happened throughout the last year, these are really incredible growth figures uh, for, for both demand and also supply within these platforms. Okay, so really unprecedented. But in doing so, something that emerged from this, and I, I guess it, it's quite difficult to pick positives out of, out of everything that has happened for the last number of months, but something uh, on the more positive trajectory that has emerged from this is that COVID-19 has really put a very strong, harsh spotlight on the uncertain and often precarious conditions faced by many gig workers. So these gig workers are risking their health and also their lives to provide these essential services. Yet, as we mentioned, they almost always lack even the most basic protections and benefits themselves. And so what we saw, and particularly across media discourse, uh, was an increasing focus on the need for platform organizations to really have a stronger uh, duty of care to their so-called partners. So again, using another example from Ireland, we saw some food delivery platforms here uh, for the first time offer workers a 14-day career relief payment, which workers could essentially use as a type of sick leave if they became ill or had to self-isolate. And again, most platforms operating in the Irish market also provided uh, PPE to their workers, so protective equipment, uh, as a recognition that they were essentially operating an essential service on the front line in a customer-facing role. Okay, so overall... You know, I think these developments were very much welcomed in, in, in the broader scheme of things, but there's also a very strong recognition and a word of caution, I guess, that this really is just very much a basic starting point. And it occurred during, you know, uh, such a significant, huge time of crisis for the world. OK, so whether or not these changes can and will be built upon going forward remains to be seen. But I think and hope that, that we should remain hopeful. In September 2019, James, uh, you and a few colleagues of yours published a research article in the Human Resource Management Journal on the topic of gig economy workers. And in that article, you made reference to key terms such as app work, crowd work, and capital platform work. Can you explain 
what these terms mean, and what were the major findings of your research? Yeah, that's right, yeah, our, our HRMJ paper. So my co-authors and I really, I guess, felt that it was it was hugely important as research and scholarly research in particular on gig work was at the time beginning to surge and has, has continued to surge since then. Uh, so we felt that it was really important to clearly distinguish between different types and variants of gig work and essentially recognizing that, as I've said a few times throughout the, this conversation, that not all gig work is the same. Okay, so that's where the three variants that we discuss in the paper came from. And as you correctly mentioned, those are app work, crowd work, and capital platform work. Okay, so we'll start with app work. And we'll start with this because this essentially refers to gig work that is executed in local markets where service providing platform organizations deploy workers on demand and where algorithms and the role of algorithmic management is really integral in controlling and mediating the work performed. Okay, so some of the organizations that we would typically associate with the app work variants include the likes of the really famous, well-known gig organizations such as Uber for transportation, Lyft also for transportation, and the likes of Deliveroo, Uber Eats, and so on in food delivery. Uh, and again, all of these services that, that all of us in our towns and our cities can pull out our smartphones and request a meal or, or a journey from A to B, and as a result, then, even though it's being mediated by technology, the services are still visible to us and they're performed in local markets. Okay, so from a HR perspective, then, app work is really where the core of many of the most major gig work issues lie. And that is because the work, as I said, is completed in local markets. So the workers are visible and the working relationship is more transparent. So AppWork, for the most part, was the primary focus of our HRMJ paper. And as a result, it's, it's the primary focus of my research. Uh, when we're looking at the idea of working relationships and HR issues, this is what we're most concerned with. Okay, so we also look at crowd work, which essentially refers to remote gig work, if you want to call it that, where labor is essentially outsourced to a geographically dispersed crowd or group of workers. Okay, so examples here include the likes of Amazon Mechanical Turk and also organizations such as Fiverr, where a range of low, medium, or sometimes even higher skill services are put out to bid by customers or requesters. Okay, so uh, you might, for example, have some transcribing that needs to be done or translation or coding or a graphic design or whatever it might be. And you look online for these services on these platforms as a customer or as a requester, and you then see a range of gig workers or a crowd who offer services in these particular areas. Okay, they have rates in some cases. In more cases, you can offer how much you are willing to pay for the task to be completed. Okay, so crowd work then is really something a bit closer to the um, ideals of gig work, okay, where individuals can more so than in app work, can pick and choose freely between tasks, although the payments uh, in some cases can often be quite low, okay? And that's simply due to the, the really high levels of popularity that we see on these platforms and that there's a huge range of individuals offering their services, okay? So as a result, then it can often drive down the overall uh, value of the service being provided, okay? And finally, then we've got capital platform work. So this is something, again, more akin to the idea of a sharing economy where platforms are used by individuals to sell goods or to lease uh, assets, which perhaps might be underused or underutilized. Okay, so examples here include, again, the, the really famous example of Airbnb and also organizations uh, such as Etsy. 
So again, much like crowd work, this is a little bit closer to the ideals of gig work. And we're particularly here looking at the notion of gig workers being something like a type of micro entrepreneur where they're running their own uh, little business on their own for the most part. Their services are available on the platform or advertised on the platform. And the platforms monetize this by taking a percentage of every uh, service sale. However, for the most part, these workers typically do have capital platform workers that is uh, typically do have more significant control and autonomy over their operations than we would see in the likes of app work in particular, and also to some extent in crowd work too. Okay, so uh, I guess in the HRMJ paper itself, more broadly, uh, as I mentioned, we are very much focused on app work, given the larger issues that exist here, and particularly on the role of algorithmic management in monitoring and controlling these workers. So for, for much of the paper, uh, beyond the classification that we just discussed, uh, we spend most of the paper exploring the really precise nature of the algorithmic management function and also its implications for workers. And, and really, you know, throughout the, the, the number of months that this paper was in development, it was so interesting to uh, see the, the really rapid pace of change in this type of work and, and the ongoing constant changes in the algorithmic management function in how it's used and how it's developed by organizations. And it was really interesting to keep developing the paper in line with this. In closing, James, can you give us one breakthrough idea about how organizations could really improve the well-being of gig employees in light of what you've explained? Again, it's a really good question and, and perhaps a tricky one because I think to date it's perhaps something that, that many have tried to do, but no one has fully succeeded yet in terms of cracking the code to make a, a gig economy that works for all. Okay, so that, that works for customers, that works for organizations, and that also works for the individuals offering the services and completing the work. Okay, so from our perspective, I guess, as HR researchers, what we really see as being a key issue here is around the transparency of the algorithmic management function. So in much of my research, we look at the lived experiences of gig workers and their, uh, their engagements, their encounters, and their efforts to navigate and to make sense of the algorithmic management function. And really significant challenges and, and complexities that they face in terms of, of understanding how best to work how to be strategic in terms of maximizing their earnings and their earning potential, how to avoid being punished or, or removed from a platform, perhaps. And from our perspective, then, because we see the algorithmic management as replacing many core HR processes, we think that a way forward, and particularly from the perspective of workers based on our own research, is to increase the level of accessibility and also, and, and also transparency around how the algorithmic management function operates, the processes that it actually monitors and, and tracks and, and that, that it's really looking for, and how workers, how individual workers operating in markets can understand the algorithmic management function in a way that benefits their own working experiences and their own working processes. And again, this is all with the overall goal of achieving a, a gig economy that works for everyone, okay? And, and for the most part, when we're looking at gig workers, they make up such a huge significant proportion of the gig economy, particularly of individual gig organizations. They may not be classified as bona fide employees, if you want to call them that, but they do make up the core workforce of these organizations. So for the sustainability of gig work, both from the perspective of organizations and also from the perspective of workers, we think that's a really important issue to focus on moving forward. 
I assume uh, the gig economy is definitely the future of work. What's your take on that? I think one of the, the significant issues here is that the actual term itself, gig economy or gig work, can often be somewhat muddled in that we look at the broader trends towards contingent work and precarious working arrangements as all being part of the gig economy. But we're really clear to define the gig economy as you know work that is exclusively uh, transacted through digital means. Okay, but certainly moving forward, we see this creeping into even more high skill and also high paid sectors too, where we're requesting all types of services via our smartphones or online. And these services then are being provided by independent workers rather than employees. So certainly moving forward, I, I think it can only continue to grow. I mean, it's, it's certainly not in any sort of a, a downward spiral in terms of growth rates. But bearing that in mind, considering that the gig economy now has been around for over a decade, so if we're looking at an emergence date of around 2008, we still have seen relatively small growth rates within the actual overall labor market itself. So we're looking at a gig economy, and when we're talking about specifically an online digital gig economy, we're looking at in and around uh, anywhere from 0.5 to about 2% of labor markets, depending on regions. So relatively small, growing steadily, I guess, but, but still relatively small. Thank you, James, for sharing your insights on gig economy workers and their well-being. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.